Welcome back to Everything Just Changed. We are getting ready to release season three of our podcast. And as we prepare for that, we're replaying a couple of episodes from our archives that you may not have heard before. We all know that we are living through an unprecedented time, at least in our lifetimes, a time where Western society has been thrown into tumult. For so long, we've believed that the pursuit of individual autonomy aided by technology would lead us to greater freedom and comfort. And if the last year has shown us anything, it's the reality that we can't conquer nature, we cannot argue crowds into submission, and our pursuit of freedom has left us socially isolated. Brad and I originally started this podcast because we believe this time is opening up a unique opportunity for Christians to step into the world, not amplifying the noise around us or adding to it, but quietly as the non-anxious presence of Jesus. But how do we do that, and what would it look like? As the initial weeks of the pandemic stretched into months in the summer of 2020, we sat down with Christian counselor Chris Bruno to discuss the way that those of us in leadership roles can be attentive to our own well-being so that we can be the non-anxious presence of Christ in the midst of a culture that seems to be losing its mind. Chris is a licensed counselor, the founder of Restoration Counseling in Colorado, and the author of uh, several books. So let's uh, jump right in, Chris. I'm, I'm just hoping that we can sort of channel you as a resource as we're trying to help equip leaders. And maybe just to get us started, one of the things that I think we are all experiencing as we are sheltering in place, working from home, uh, distance learning with our kids, and trying to keep our our, our ministries and jobs and whatever those things may be afloat is just the reality that to put it really simply, I'm just really tired. <laughs> um, I probably have less on my to-do list than I used to, um, but I feel like I'm making decisions that are things that I haven't ever thought for. Uh, certainly my seminary preparation didn't train me for, um, you know, we're, we're having to make these kind of high risk um, decisions where we don't know if we're making the right decision or not. And mid-afternoon every day, I feel like I'm just exhausted. Can you maybe just help us understand what is going on? Why are we so tired? Well, I, I would say first, like, I am so in that with you, right? By two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going for my uh, you know, self-disclosure here, second, third, fourth cup of coffee yeah, just to make it through the afternoon. Um, and certainly there is no seminary class on pandemics, right? There's no, there's no, uh, playbook. There's no owner's manual on how to walk through this. Uh, so guys, I feel like, uh, what you're saying, Bryce, is your experience, the exhaustion is a ubiquitous experience, right? Especially I think of people who are in leadership, both in business leadership and also in ministry leadership, yeah. because we are being asked to do, and, and, and I say being asked, it's not like someone is asking us to do. I think the situation is asking us to be far more creative, far more nimble, far more hopeful, and actually far more full of faith hmm. than the pre-pandemic world ever asked us to be. And the more that we need to flex and the more that we need to uh, show up in different ways, I think the more our batteries get drained and the more we are just uh, exhausted, like you said. Uh, and I also think that there's, even though your to-do list may not be as much as it might have been a couple months ago, I feel like your emotional lists 
are far larger, right? The levels of fear, anxiety, confusion, um, you just said high risk, low reward, like those kinds of things, that, that takes a toll on us that we didn't have before. So we might have been more productive. We might have been doing far more in, in programs and ministries and launching things and preaching and all those kinds of things. But, but our own person has been asked to be more than maybe we were. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember thinking right at the outset, I'm going to get so much done here because <laughs> I don't have the travel time to get to meetings and appointments anymore. Um, you know, Zoom calls are just so quick and easy man, we've really turned the corner on, on our relationship with yeah. Zoom, I think. <laughs> I'm glad you've repented of that fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> we had a choice. Now, it's funny, like most, most church planners, I feel like, you know, Bryce and I are probably pretty hardwired to be comfortable with change and adaptability. And I, I remember feeling extremely pretty energized, especially in those first like two to three weeks uh, after everything had to get shut down and it's just like, okay, this is what, this is what I'm made for. This is what we're supposed to do. You know, that kind of crisis, uh, in the moment leadership is really clear. And then the, the more things drag on, the more I'm, I'm starting to realize that like, I, you know, and <laughs> this is, I, I haven't heard any pastors say this, uh, but I kind of have this sneaking suspicion. A lot of us are feeling this is we both cannot wait to get to the point where we can regather on Sunday morning and we're dreading it at the same time. And, and that dread comes from this exhaustion of like, I'm, I'm tired now. I can't imagine having to figure out how to pull off physical distancing with toddlers. Never mind disinfecting protocols or yeah. So, so it's just, it's just, it feels like if we're kind of in this increasing catch 22. And I just wonder how universal that is. And just maybe what you're seeing and experiencing uh, as, as a therapist who's working with people who are probably coming to you. I imagine business is probably booming right now um, with people needing some help figuring out what to do with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm working with a lot of people in ministry and what you're describing is exactly like I said, it's ubiquitous. It's, and there's no playbook because there was no playbook in the beginning and there's no playbook ongoing right? How, how do we do this with toddlers? How do we do this with, with gathering? And I think the last thing also that you didn't speak to is the last thing that we want is for, uh, for us, for our churches, our congregations to be an outbreak point. Oh God, seriously. Yeah. Right. Of course. So, uh, and, and that just puts that church in the forefront of the news. And now all of a sudden, you know, people don't want to go to church because they're going to get like, it's just, it's a cluster. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've said that uh, when when people are asking me kind of, hey, pastor, when are we going to start meeting again? And I'm thinking, man, we want to meet as soon as we can, but we really do not want to show up in a newspaper article. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I've, you know, we, people are asking us the same thing. It's not, you know, a congregation. It's like, when will we go back to the counseling office? We've, right. we've completely pivoted to virtual counseling uh, and telehealth, which is awesome. And it's actually been uh, a huge way of continuing to be able to come alongside people no matter where in the world they are. Uh, and we've been, our, our, our reach has actually increased significantly because now we can work with people, uh, not just locally, but literally wherever. Um, but people are asking, when are we going to be able to come back into the office? And I've, I've said, hey, even though the laws may allow us with these stipulations, I'm going to ask us to actually just wait. Mm -hmm. I'm going to actually just ask us to wait because um, the last thing I want to do is take the temperature of my clients and make them wear a mask. 
right? Mm. And how can you do face-to-face counseling and tune into the emotions or blow your nose when you're trying to, you know, when you have a mask on. So it's, it's a whole bunch of things. A friend of mine calls it a dumpster fire. I just think it's a dumpster fire situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So really you're saying, Brad and I think about this as pastors, but everybody in their, in their context is facing unprecedented sort of challenges and issues that they're having to overcome. And the, just the mental emotional toll of that is, is exhausting over time. Well, and I feel like something else happened to us all. And I think those of us in ministry, um, in some ways, uh, uh, again, to kind of state it a little bluntly, is that we found a way to be superhumans, right? We found we found ways to do our stuff and do it really well. Mm-hmm. And we can we can gather, we can preach. We're doing these things. We're doing a lot, and our capacity in those areas is is pretty large. But I think what the pandemic has actually done to us is uh, rehumanized us in some ways. And mm-hmm. and another way of saying that is human sized us again. Mm-hmm. And brought us back to the place where I am just a guy and I am just trying to make some things happen. And I love the Lord and I want for people to know him, but I'm no longer measured by the size of my church or the number of services or the number of uh, programs I have, right? I'm just a guy trying to serve the kingdom now instead of where maybe we were in some superhuman spaces that we wouldn't have admitted back then, but I hope we can begin to admit right now. Bring wow. us back to this place of like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just a guy who loves the Lord and wants to serve the kingdom. So how do we get back to that superhuman place? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, that, I think you just hit me between the eyes because, yeah, I mean, Brett, I think one of the things Brett and I have talked about is just, man, I did not go into ministry because I wanted to run a virtually oriented community group sort of ministry. Yeah. And without being able to gather on Sunday morning, so much of what I feel like my strengths as a pastor are, are just completely taken off the table. Mm -hmm. And I think Bryce, when you began, you talked about like, what is the kingdom opportunity here? So I served in missions uh, in the Middle East for 10 years and um, in Turkey. And one of the areas that we would visit often was the area of Cappadocia. And it's often referenced. I just read this morning in, in First Peter, he's writing to the saints in Dokia yeah. and other regions, right? And this whole pandemic has made me uh, kind of recall some of the things I learned about the Christians in the area of Cappadocia during the time of their persecution. Now, I'm not saying that the pandemic is a Christian persecution. That is not what I'm saying, right? I think it's a whole global situation that involves us also as Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the comparison that I want to draw is what was it, what kind of creative ways, faith-filled ways, um, different ways did the church in Cappadocia have to live uh, live through and, and navigate while they were under the kind of persecution where if you go to Cappadocia, literally you will see underground cities that are that go seven floors into the ground, into the earth, that are that are carved out. They were originally carved out by the Hittites and and then they were used by the Christians. And there's there's massive caves that are that are cathedrals um, that have wow. been painted and the frescoes and all that are there. They were worshiping underground. And so, right, how does a pastor navigate multiple 10-person 
underground churches in Cappadocia, I feel like that's similar to where we are. How does a pastor mm. navigate a virtual space where we actually can't gather anymore, but we still want to be faithful yeah. uh, to, to serve the Lord and one another? Can you answer that question? <laughs> yeah, how do we do that? <laughs> how? <laughs> um, I, I don't know that I can. And um, Okay. But here's what I do know, is I do know that still the epistles are written to, written to the faithful saint in Cappadocia. Mm. So I think one of the things that I feel like this pandemic is calling us to be is to come back to the human-sized faithfulness that God actually calls us to, mm. right? Man, yeah, you know, I one of the things that's that's been on our radar up to this point but made a cannonball-sized splash yesterday in the news was uh, the Washington Post ran this article that the Census Bureau had run a, a survey and a poll. And the conclusion of this survey and poll was that for every 100 American adults, 34 are showing symptoms of clinical anxiety, depression, or both. Yeah. And as I'm reading this, what the article's not talking about is um, there's a certain degree of vulnerability and courage it takes to say I'm experiencing these symptoms. And my gut is that this is actually still underreporting how many people actually are experiencing some form of clinical anxiety or depression or both. And um, Bryce and I have been talking about this concept that you know if you see this pandemic as an interruptive event, a pause button to which we are going to try and and just wait out and go back to some kind of normal versus a disruptive event that requires us to kind of scrape the foundation clean and start over. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out and think through as a pastor, this is a, this is a massive neon sign pointing to a ministry need that both society and even the church does not seem very well equipped or prepared to, to provide any kind of grace saturated or based uh, counseling in order to, to actually help people. And, and this doesn't even break anything down by, you know, inside the church versus outside the church. And there has to be a solution that addresses both. So I'm just kind of curious as someone who thinks about this and probably talks to pastors a lot about, Hey, you're not the only one experiencing this. Your people are too. What in the world, how should we start thinking about this in such a way that s starts rebuilding with the opportunity we have in front of us to actually be salt and light in, in that kind of a context? Uh, you know, the first thing I believe is that we as ministry leaders need to be at the forefront of those admissions. Hmm. We need to let people know that to experience depression, anxiety, fear, you know, phobias, whatever it might be, is, is a human experience. It's, and I, as a human, also experience those things. Mm -hmm. So for us to break the stigmas around mental health or any of that stuff, I think we need to speak about our own depression. We need to speak about our own anxiety. We need to speak about our own fear. And I think that the more that we can begin there, the more we give permission to other people to do the same. Okay. Amen. Right. So that, that's where I would start. But I, I love your distinctions between um, a disruptive event and an interruptive event, uh, right? I feel like one of the things that we actually also need to name is that this is a trauma event. Yes. Okay. This is a trauma event. And you mentioned just a moment ago that in the first two weeks, kind of we in ministry did this whole juggle, shift, move, got everything, you know, we did this massive uh, kind of muscling, leveraging shift pivot into the virtual space. And 
And you said, this is what we were created for. And I do believe on some level that those on the front lines of ministry are created for crises. Mm. Right? We, we can navigate those, most of us, pretty well. And that first crisis is, uh, is, a, is a trauma event, okay? But what we also have to name is that it's not just a trauma event, that there is an ongoing trauma that we are continuing to live in, that it's a sustained trauma. And then also we're still anticipating trauma, okay? We're anticipating, what is the fall going to look like for school? What is, when am I going to see my mom again when she, as she lives in a nursing home? What is going to happen for my senior in high school next year? What's going to happen for my eighth grader who's moving to ninth grade next year? And how is the first semester of high school going to be? Is she going to make any friends? Mm-hmm. Or is she going to be six, you know, six feet apart with a mask on and not able to talk? Like That's the anticipatory trauma. So we're in the middle of this ongoing trauma and we don't actually know what's going on. I feel like if we begin to name it as trauma, right, that is, uh, is both interruptive and disruptive and ongoingly disruptive, Mm-hmm. That that we can kind of sit back and go, okay, right? This is actually quite choppy water, and it's going to still be choppy water. I need to not anticipate this the lake to become still again. I need to learn how to how to navigate choppy water, and so we need to we need to develop some different emotional muscles in the midst of navigating this trauma that we didn't have before. What you're saying is, is this isn't just a disruptive event. This is a disruptive season. Absolutely. You know, yeah. you're hitting on a, uh, a question slash epiphany. Um, I'd had, gosh, this is probably maybe two weeks ago. Um, my wife and I were going for a walk in the evening because I was just feeling kind of crazy and just needed to process some things. And she's incredibly gracious. And, um, I just started describing like what I was feeling in a very like basic kind of rudimentary way. And it hit me. Um, I, I spent uh, nine years as a chaplain in the army national guard. And uh, I can't tell you how many soldiers I counseled and talked to who would come back from deployment and they were never in a roadside bomb. They never hit an IED. They were never shot at. And they were, they were saying like, I feel so there's something wrong with me because I I'm feeling all these things. And what they would describe were the very things I listed. And in those moments with these soldiers, I would tell them like, you realize we're learning that PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder is not uh, always and only caused by an acute event, but a chronic hypervigilance that the stress of having to anticipate threat uh, builds up cortisol in your brain. And, and that's what causes the PTSD symptoms. And I, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, is that it? That's why we're so exhausted. Yeah. And, and the implications of that are devastating to consider because that is literally everybody who's experiencing that. And if it was hard enough for soldiers who like, I know I'm at war, like I know that this is a dangerous environment, but there's a, at least when they come home, even though there are, you know, absolutely triggers and, and other aspects of it, there's at least a contextual difference. This is happening in our homes. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like, is, is that, I don't want to over apply that analogy, but is that what you're describing with this? Yes. And I, I think that's to come back to Bryce, what you said, why am I so exhausted by two o'clock? I think you just named it because the level of cortisol and hypervigilance that we are living with normally now that we weren't before. 
is at such a significantly higher level. And actually, the sustained trauma, the long-term overtime trauma, it, it, in my mind, is actually far more detrimental than an acute trauma, mm. okay? Because that event, uh, I'm, I may need to do some work around that. I may need to revisit what happened. I might still be triggered by similar experiences or, you know, or, or whatever. But the sustained, the sustained trauma is the longer something happens and the closer it is in proximity, mm. the more it's going to create those kinds of cortisol releases and PTSD responses and all the things. Mm. That you're mm. And when you think about it from, you know, outside of the context we're talking about, in like a sexual abuse situation, right? That there, there might be an incident of sexual abuse or assault. And that's horrific as it is, right? And, and yet the recovery for that person looks very different than a child who's lived at home uh, with ongoing sexual abuse for six years. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that what's happened to the, the psyche, what's happened to the soul, what's happened to the emotions, what's happened to relationships and all that hypervigilance has, has deepened, like those crevices in the soul have deepened so significantly that recovery becomes even more difficult than an acute assault situation. So bring that back to pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. What we lived with 9-11, which was our most recent large uh, kind of national crisis, right? Was an yeah. acute event. Yeah. And then after the acute event, there was no more threat. There was no more. And we went to, you know, and however we feel politically about what happened afterwards, the, the reality was there was at that point, it didn't come into our own fruit aisle at the grocery store, right? It, it was something that happened and it's not threatening us anymore. So we're living in this ongoing trauma, as I've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those statistics of whatever, 34% depression, anxiety, right? That is because we didn't, we don't know what to do. We don't have the, the musculature established yet to live in the midst of this kind of a trauma. Yeah. So Chris, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about a question as I'm hearing you talk here and it seems like just our own awareness is such a big part of this. Um, I know for myself, well, and maybe to even kind of hopefully play out what you were encouraging us to uh, just a few minutes ago, but part of my own kind of process and journey through counseling is just learning to become more aware of what I am actually experiencing and feeling. And and apart from that, it seems like uh, this anxiety can can kind of just sneak up on me where I tell I feel like I'm doing fine. And, and I feel like I'm talking with people who, you know, I say, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. That's what everybody says. I'm doing fine. Until all of a sudden you're not. And the difference between I'm doing fine and I just snapped at my kids or my spouse or, you know, even something maybe more severe seems to be, um, it, it can happen really quickly. And I'm, so I'm wondering both like, what can we do to develop our own awareness, but, but also as leaders, how can we help others develop a little bit more emotional awareness? I feel like pastorally, when I'm in conversation with people in our church, you know, how are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm thankful. I, I'm still working. I'm working from home. I'm juggling all of these different balls, but you know, everything's fine. 
And then, I mean, we're what, 12 weeks or so into this, and I'm starting to see things like um, marriages beginning to break down. I mean, I've actually seen a few incidents of, um, not of not in our church, but of people saying, we're going to move out of state because it, it seems like there's this temptation to kind of blame shift. So when we're unhappy with how the governor is dealing with things here, we're going to move to a state with a different color where we think that the governor is going to do a better job there. Um, seems you know some fairly fairly like um like those are some big reactions yeah i just wonder how can we help people say uh, help people to slow down and just become aware of what they're actually experiencing yeah well so first i want to name the the going from fine and not fine yeah okay so first of all uh, anytime somebody says the word fine to me i'm like you're lying <laughs> right so <laughs> it's just not true i think i think fine is just this dissociative word that allows me not to actually answer the truth so yes. so um let's thank just... you for saying that because actually one of the things i i say all the time in our church is that we want to help you move beyond just being busy and fine because i think <laughs> that fine is just a smokescreen and yeah. busy is an excuse yeah absolutely so um the in counseling terms there's something called the window of tolerance Okay, and so if you think about your computer screen or an actual window or something that has a top and a bottom, right? So on the on the top is how much uh, kind of electric anxiety, energy, um, anger, frustration, whatever. How much can you tolerate mm -hmm. before you cross over that that barrier, that ledge, that line? Okay, and then on the bottom is how much like uh, depression or how much dissociation or how much um, uh, hypo arousal, it's called where there's, you're just kind of shut down and you're numb and you're just quiet and you don't show emotion. Like how much can you tolerate there? Hmm. So in between the top and the bottom line is what's called a window of tolerance. And every person has a window of tolerance based on their past story and their family. And then in marriage, when two come together and become one, the marriage then has a window of tolerance. Hmm. Okay. How much, how much frustration with one another can we handle before it becomes a fight? And how much distance can we handle before it becomes abandoned, right? That's, so we're, we're dealing with that window of tolerance already in each person and each relationship. And each relationship, not only marriage, but uh, parent-child and siblings and all that, we each have a window of tolerance there. What I think this pandemic has done is it's taken what might have been a larger window of tolerance and shrunk it down so that uh, now the, the amount of space in between the top and the bottom is actually far less. Mm -hmm. And so when um, in the midst of the pandemic or prior to the pandemic, maybe my coffee's cold would have been a fine thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. But now my coffee's cold and I get, I, I, I throw the cup, right. right? Because my window of tolerance has shrunk so much yeah. that I, I can't actually handle as much. And that goes back to what we were talking about with the trauma response and the cortisol and all that stuff that's happening. Mm. Okay. So then your question yeah. is, how do we then help people become more aware of what's going on? So one of the things that I'm trying to do is not only just name things like, hey, there's a window of tolerance and it has shrunk. And let's understand and be aware that when we start to, when we start to, uh, where we could have boiled before, now when we start to simmer, it's the same as where we boiled before. We just need to know, we just need to know that that is there and that um, 
just that awareness, but then also a sense of the kind of three things that I've talked about a lot recently is uh, grief, gratitude, and grounding. Okay. Mm -hmm. So grief being both, what have I lost? What will I lose? And what might I lose? Right. And actually grieving. And I think the scriptures are full of lament and grief and acknowledgement of how grief is actually something that God has given us to digest the experience of loss. Mm-hmm. If we don't grieve well, then I don't think we will actually digest what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I, I honestly think, I, th- I just don't think the American church knows how to grieve. We yeah. you know, even when there is a, uh, a little death in a funeral, it's kind of like, well, one week later, you're supposed to pick up your life and move on. Mm. Right. We're talking weeping and tearing of cloth and 40 days of, uh, right. of grieving right in the scriptures where, you know, we give ourselves maybe three or four days. Mm. Uh, so Grief is something I think we as pastors need to train our people in how to lament and grieve, Mm -hmm. how to actually take the Psalms of lament and apply them to my life and Mm -hmm. actually maybe rewrite them, not to rewrite scripture, but to rewrite them so that they apply to me. Here's my experience. And I join Mm -hmm. the psalmist in the lament. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gratitude, I think also is part of that. And you mentioned, you know, I'm grateful for still having a job. I'm grateful that, you know, nobody that I know is sick yet or, you know, whatever that we've not been hit that, that gratitude is there, but I think it needs to get even more particular. And I'm grateful that I have breath today. Hmm. I am grateful that there, the the sun has, that has come up again. I'm grateful for everything from the butterfly to my child's laugh. And this, the attunement to ourselves also requires an attunement to our space and our environment. The more that we can see out here and actually in awe and wonder approach God with gratitude, the more that we can actually tune into what's happening inside of us. Hmm. Okay. And then thirdly is grounding. And that is, uh, you know, scriptural meditation that is prayerful spaces that is slowing things down enough to sit and ponder and be and breathe and put your feet on the floor and do some go running or do some stretches or walk the dog, do something that actually reminds you of your humanness uh, and your uh, belovedness. Mm-hmm. And that when we do those three things, I think on a, on a regular, like daily practices, ritual, liturgical practices, that then we'll be able to go, okay, I'm not feeling so depressed anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. Chris, it's it strikes me how like how tragically and especially attuned this pandemic is to making those three things especially difficult, right? I, like I'm sitting here thinking about how important it is to give uh, myself. I, you say those things, I'm kind of like, is that okay to do right now? Like, I mean, I know that those are good things for other people. Uh, you know, <laughs> the typical pastor response, right? But the 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 reduction of, uh, you know, it, there's, there's a self-aware thing that is absolutely, uh, so vital. And I know that as an extrovert, it is really hard for me sometimes to be self-aware unless there's a relationship holding up a, a mirror, uh, to help me see. And this distances, uh, those relationships and especially in ways that are embodied and the reduction of all of this to screens makes it just feels like it's kind of like trying to shove a um well a camel through the eye of a needle uh to 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 try and 
and depend on those relationships with those mediums, that makes that, that just, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm. Uh, yeah. And I think, I mean, just for uh, leaders in general, right. If you're, if, if you, you can't read the room, <laughs> you know, as at least in the same way, if everything's on zoom, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, Brad and I have talked about uh, that the experience of, I, uh, I mentioned this in our previous episode, but I ran into a couple at the grocery stores in my church and I thought, oh my gosh, just seeing them at the grocery store that I have missed you so much. And they're like, huh, that's weird. We see you every week. And I said, well, I haven't seen you in like almost three months. Mm-hmm. And so just, I, 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 I'm thinking that there's probably a lot of leaders experiencing something similar where those embodied relationships that we depend on. I don't think in an idolatrous way, but for feedback, yeah. for a sense of, am I doing the right things or am I doing a good job? Yeah. Well, I, and Bryce, I feel like that comes, that that's true. And I think that's so appropriate for you to say, like, they have seen you for the last three or four months, but you've not seen them. And, and the distance that we have, you guys, the, what you just said about being on the screen and trying to shove a extrovert through a broadband, <laughs> right? Like you just, you just can't do this. Um, kind of amazing that. So it's, it's, it's both a ridiculous notion, but I also will come back to what I said before is that some of the superhuman power that I think a lot of pastors have is reading other people's faces. Hmm. And I wonder if this is a kingdom opportunity for us to learn how to read our own. Hmm. And for us, you know, one quote, I think that I'm going to butcher, but says something along the lines of leaning my ear down to my soul and listening. Hmm. And so that I feel like is what, what might God actually be bringing us in ministry to, right? Is to remind us of who we are also as his beloved children, Hmm. not just his church leaders. And to, to come back to like, I need, I need Jesus. I need to tune into my soul. I need to know what's going on in here. And that far too often, I think we, we actually hide behind our ability to read other people to know who I am versus actually coming to know who I am. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's fantastic. Um, Serious note with that though. Uh, I mean, that very, the, uh, we, we, before we started recording, we were talking Enneagram, uh, which, you know, we have our, our cult, I'm sorry, club membership cards too. But um, as a, as a three on the Enneagram with a wing four in particular, I, I am, I'm just, well, how what was it? Calvin said, uh, you can't, I'm going to butcher this quote too. You, you can't really know God unless you also know yourself. And there's a, there's a very real uh, discomfort in that we have all suddenly been left very alone with ourselves in ways that we we have been able to avoid until this point. So that makes that that resonates a little too much. So thanks. Yeah, Chris, <laughs> I wonder. I wonder as we uh, kind of try to wrap up. Do you have one or two kind of first steps that um, you could suggest if if I'm uh, if I'm somebody who's listening right now and I'm realizing a lot of this is resonating uh, with me. What, what, what are one or two th- first steps I could take? Yeah. Well, um, put on your own oxygen mask first. Hmm. Okay. And that is not something that people in ministry do well at all. <laughs> okay. So put on your own oxygen mask first and come back to the place of where, where I said before, like the more that you can speak about what's going on for you and be so honor and honesty actually come from the same root word. And so the more that you can be honest about what is happening for you, the more that you actually honor yourself and honor your creator. And so 
if you're feeling some of these things, if you're feeling the exhaustion, if you're feeling depressed, anxious, fearful, traumatized, like we've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, I would say reach out, find someone to journey with you. Uh, and that is not a sign of weakness, guys. That in my mind is a sign of strength and courage and commitment to be one of those faithful saints that, that Paul and Peter and all the other guys wrote to in mm-hmm. areas like Cappadocia. Okay, so to, to come back to that and, and, and reach out. We at Restoration Counseling, we've got um, caredurincorona.com and there's a whole bunch of virtual spaces where care can be had by pastoral counselors and therapists and spiritual directors and all that. And there's multiple places across the country that do that as well. So um, that would be the first thing I would say to people. Yeah. And then secondly, is, uh, is to come to a space of actually grounding yourself. Hmm. Look yourself in the mirror and ask the Lord, who did you create me to be? Before the beginning of time, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 and 2, before the beginning of time, who did you think me up to be? Hmm. And what is the image that you wrote into my life? And in Ephesians 2, it talks about the, the workmanship, the handiwork, the masterpiece. What was the masterpiece that you made me? Hmm. And how can I actually come closer to revealing you, the master, by letting the world see the masterpiece during this space and during this time. And I think the more that we lean into that, I think not that we will come out of the pandemic because I don't think it will actually go back to where we were, but I think we will actually grow through the pandemic to something more of who we could be uh, and more revealing of God than we would have if this thing had more human even. More human. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, last last time we, uh, Brad and I talked, we were talking about the parable of the talents and the idea that um, God is asking us to be faithful with what we've been given, not with what somebody else has been given. And uh, I've been trying to just come back to that in the past week. Um, I, I don't have all of the resources to play with. Uh, <laughs> so what is it that God has called me specifically to do? Yeah. Well, and to be. Hmm. <laughs> to steward to steward not only what you have been given, but to steward who you have been made to be. Hmm. Bryce, wow. I'm blaming you for this one. Wow. That's good. Very good. That's great. So Chris, um, thank you so much. If people want to uh, connect with you, can you tell us how, uh, how they can do that? Yeah, sure. Like I said, um, caredurincorona.com uh, is up and out there. It just directs people directly to our website, Restoration Counseling in Colorado. That's great. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Uh, this has been a really rich conversation. You've given us a, a lot of great resources. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. My honor. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us today for this replay episode of Everything Just Changed. If you'd like more info about Chris, including links to his books, take a look at our show notes for this episode. We're looking forward to releasing season three. That's coming next week, where Brad and I will be exploring ways to overcome the individualism that is plaguing Western culture by receiving rather than achieving our identity. Please subscribe if you haven't already. That's coming up next Monday right here on Everything Just Changed.